All right, grab your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're going to continue our series on the book of Acts. And while you're turning there, let me just, uh, I got, I got one, I'm going to sort of tell you part one to three stories. 1998 was a big year for the Lewis family, my clan. Um, in 1994, I graduated from law school. I had gone down, I, was, I went to University of Minnesota Law School, traveled down, we, we, we replanted our family in Kansas City, Missouri. I was on, uh, at, a, at a law firm there. I was practicing law. And, um, and this, is, this is a plan I had had for my life, I can say legitimately since about late junior high, early high school. I wanted to be a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer. I was like, you know, what? I want, I want this to be my trajectory. I want to take care of my family. I want to make a lot of money. I want to give a lot of money to the church. This is, this is what I want my life to look like. So I started on that. I continued that. I pursued that path. It was going great. It was going amazing. I had an amazing job. Michelle and I had just moved into what we would have said was like the house of our dreams. Now, don't think Taj Mahal. It was a very, very modest house, but for us, it was like, this is great. Man, finally, there's this house we feel like we could grow a family in. And, you know, there were two cars in the garage, two kids in the house, and one on the way. I mean, everything was going according to what we thought we should do, but God had other plans. Fast forward 2006, I'm on staff now. I'm in ministry. I'm on staff at a church in Missouri and uh, loved this church, loved what God, the opportunities God was giving me there and uh, preaching and, and, and being with people and all, all, all the stuff that uh, it was, it was a, the, the community we lived in. It was really easy to live there. The, the cost of living was low. It was uh, a pretty, pretty amazing, you know, so we're really enjoying life and ministry there. And round about the beginning of 2006, Michelle and I began to sense that God might be stirring us to either go and, and maybe pastor an existing church or plant a church. And about that time, as we're wrestling through this, we, we sit down and, and uh, have a conversation, kind of redirects us a little bit. And, uh, and then we get word that there's a church in uh, North Carolina that is looking uh, to, at me, and they've been sort of unbeknownst to me, scouting me out, and we want to call you to be our pastor. And so I flew out there, and Michelle and I were convinced we are North Carolina bound, but God had other plans. Now, fast forward to 2017. I'm, we're here at Foothill Church, and the church is growing, and we're running out of room in, in services like this, and, and trying to think, okay, how, how can we make more room? What do we do? So we came up with this idea. It wasn't original to us, but we thought, okay, what we'll do is we'll do church services at 9-11 here, and the same services 9-11 over there, and we'll, we'll live stream between the two, and I'll kind of bounce back and forth on different weekends. Many of you are here. You remember this, right? And we did this for about a year, and and thought this is a great scheme to be able to grow and maybe we can move out to Claremont and west of Pasadena and just sort of keep going up and down the 210 corridor. This seems, maybe this is what God has for us. Maybe, maybe this is the direction we're supposed to go. But God had other plans. L listen to Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. This is echoed. Psalm 37, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Proverbs 16:9. the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. How does this work? How does God do that? 
I think Acts chapter 16 helps us. And I want to look at Acts chapter 16 through the lens of how God directs his people. Maybe how God might direct you or be directing you, okay? And I'm going to show you three kind of distinct ways that pop out of this passage. And I'm, we're going to chase one rabbit trail. I'll just tell you that right now. But other than that rabbit trail, I want to, I want to listen in and go, how does God direct us? What, ought, what things might we see in our own lives? And we see here in Acts chapter 16 that God is the one in charge. God is doing this and God is showing us what he wants from us. So, so let's start reading. I'm going to do this by asking some simple questions, okay, of the text, and then out of that, I want you to see the answers of this, okay? The first one, and these are all just directly related to the text. Number, the first question is this, how did Paul choose Timothy to be his companion? So let's start reading chapter 16, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance uh, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, let me set the stage of what's happening here. So Paul is in Antioch when, when, we, when we end. Remember, he and Barnabas, Travis talked to us about this last week. He and Barnabas have parted ways and kind of had this, you know, fight, and we're not really quite sure what all that was about, but, but, but who was right, who was wrong, right? But they, they part ways. Travis taught us about some conflict and things like that that happened within the, the church, and, and, and he, Paul takes Silas, and they both sort of go their separate ways. Paul decides what I'm going to do is I'm going to go sort of the, the, the reverse route and visit on my second journey all the churches that we visited on the first journey that we established, and the point of it is to take the letter that they had drafted in Acts chapter 15 and deliver that to him. It says he does that. He gets to Lystra, Derby, Iconium, this area, you'll see it on your map, that, that is uh, the home of Timothy. There's this young man. So, so probably Paul's first journey was about five years prior to this. Timothy probably comes to faith under Paul's ministry and teaching five years prior. He's had five years to mature and grow. Now he has a reputation as being a solid kid. He's, he's mature. He's growing. And Paul looks and says, I want Timothy to accompany me. So, so here's the answer. How did Paul choose Timothy? He wanted him. He just had a desire. God put a desire in Paul's heart for something that wasn't there before. He shows up, knows he needs some help, sees Timothy. I pick him, goes and says, Timothy, will you come? And apparently, Timothy goes, yep, I'll go with you. Because they go down and says they start sharing this letter and the Lord strengthens the churches this way. What's the point? Sometimes God simply puts a desire in your heart in order to direct your steps. He gives you a desire that wasn't there before. So, so let, me, let me flush out. I started telling you the story. 1998, big year for my family. We're in, I'm practicing law. Things are going well. Well, here's what happened. Some guys at my church go, hey, Chris, let's study a book of the Bible together. I've never done this before. So I get together with them. I study the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, 
Verse 6, Paul begins saying, he says, I left you, Titus, I left you in, in, in Crete to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city. And then he begins to describe an elder. And for the first time in my life, I had a desire that I had never had before. I had a desire to be a pastor. I, that, that was never there. I didn't run from that when I was a kid. It was like, it's just there. Like, okay, God, you're apparently doing something new. You're, you're giving me something. I want something. Let's say it that way. I just want it. See, see some people go, wow, you gave up a lot, leaving a practice of law to go into ministry. No, like I, I literally, like this was a great desire God put in my heart. I really, really wanted to do this thing. It didn't matter that it would be less money. It didn't matter what, all those things were irrelevant because now there was a desire I didn't have before. Sometimes God gives us desires that we didn't have before. Now, let's talk about that. Does that mean that if you have a desire, it's from God? Like I hope we all know there's not a chance that's true. Because there are all kinds of desires. I think we instinctively know this cannot possibly be from God, right? So, so we, we're, 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 here's what I'd say. The desire is simply, it's not the end of discussion. It's the beginning of a lot of discussion. Um, so so let, me, let me use my example. It, it, that became a springboard for me to have lots of discussions about things. And, and I'll explain that in a moment. So, so, but, but let's do this. You've got a desire. God's put it. You, you feel like this, this must be God. God, you're doing something. Now, what do you do with that? Like I said, this is just a discussion starter. I think there's some questions that you as a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, right, those of you who are not just listening to this, that, 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 that there, are, there are three questions I think you ought to ask of that desire, okay? And here they are. Number one, is it biblical? Is it a biblical desire, right? Because if it's not, you're done. Pretty easy. I'm not, I don't have to discuss it anymore. It's just like, so, so you know, some guy is, he's at, he's at work and he's been married for 10 years and then he's sitting there and lo and behold, they hire a beautiful new woman employee who comes and sits next to him and they strike up a friendship and the guy could say something like, well, this must be God because here she is dropped into my lap. I find her attractive. I find her beautiful. Hear me, I can say on the authority of scripture, that isn't, God isn't with a thousand miles of that desire. That's called adultery. That's wrong, right? It's not a biblical desire. End of discussion. But, but wait, but there might be others that aren't so obvious. You're like, I might, I have a desire. It's like God's been stirring me and I have a desire to start a business. I have a desire to do this entrepreneurial thing. And, and so you go and you go, but what do I, where do I look? I, I, I want to know, is it biblical? Is there anything unbiblical about it? Well, look in here. Let me, let me say this. As a, you look for principles, not for specifics. In other words, I'm not going to go to the concordance and look for the word business. Business, starting a business, entrepreneur. Okay, not there, right? What am I doing? I'm looking and I'm saying, okay, I want to start a business. And if God blesses this, this could be a blessing to other families that I employ. And this could actually provide a service for people that don't have that. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, right? We might step back and go, okay, I could say this is biblical. Okay, so for me, again, I know it's an easy one, but I look and say there's nothing unbiblical. In fact, it's biblical. 
to have a desire. Paul says to Timothy, whoever desires the office of an elder desires a good thing. Okay, that's good. That's biblical. So that's a pretty cut and dried thing that being a pastor. But you don't stop. Is, is it biblical? Is it biblical? The second question you ask of that desire is, is it wise? Is it wise? Now, these things go hand in hand for sure. But something might be biblical that for you just simply isn't wise. It may not be the wise decision to make. So, so the quickest way to find out whether something is wise or not is to talk to wise people. The Bible says that whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So what do you do? Okay, I'll tell you what I did. I looked and said, I don't know, God, if this is you or not. I, I don't see anything unbiblical about it. I think this seems like a right thing I might want to do. So what do I do now? I went, and let me tell you how nerdy I was. I, I, I made appointments for breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, any way I could get people, wise people that knew me to come and sit down with me. And I could say, here's a desire that I, that, that, that's on my heart. Would you affirm this or would you say you're crazy? You should not do this and here's why. I'm not, I don't want, I'm, I'm trying to give you the answer. I'm just, you tell me. Now, let me say something about wise people. Wise people may or may not have a high IQ. Now, again, I don't mean this is a, a, this is not an insult. It's just true. They may or may not uh, be wealthy. They may or may not be married. They uh, may or may not be good with business, whatever. But I'll tell you what they will be. They will be Christian. And they will be Christians who have walked through all kinds of seasons of life and are clinging tightly to Jesus. And by the way, they will be church people. If somebody that you deem wise says, I don't need the church, they're not wise, they're a fool. So, so, so God surrounded us with a community. So I, I went to people in the community of faith. Okay, what do you think? What do you think? And I, I really nerded out because I was like, God, I don't want to make a mistake. I'm all worried about it. So I literally kept a spreadsheet of every conversation. Like Jerry said, you know, and this. And I do this for several months, right? I get done. I look down at it. And to a person. Now, this may or may not happen for you. I'm just thinking I have to do this this way. But I, I was trying to listen to wisdom to a person. They all said, go. This desire... It's biblical, it's wise. But, but let me give you one last thing, one last question. Will it cause your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel? It's possible that my manner of life, there's plenty of pastors who have flamed out. There's plenty of businesses that started off great and now it's just being done to service your own bank account. Will can I pursue this? Because this is the call of God on my life. That when Paul lays out in Philippians, here's all the things that God does for you. And then he says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's saying in light of all of that, now live this way. Can your life adorn the gospel? Now listen, this doesn't mean it's got to be ministry. I know plenty of people like you are adorning the gospel in academia. You are adorning the gospel in the trades. Why? Not, not because you carry a Bible and have a cross and say Jesus all the time. Because you're really good at what you do. You're adorning the gospel in the world. This is what we need. There's people that are adorning the gospel in the world of finance. 
They're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Is it biblical? Is it wise? And can you live in a manner worthy of the gospel? I think those are just three good questions to ask of your desires. Now, let me chase one rabbit trail here just for a moment. Notice, and let's just ask this question. Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Now, here's why I want to ask that question. Because, remember, the whole point of Acts chapter 15 is that there was this group that showed up in Antioch. And in Antioch, they showed up and they said, unless you're circumcised, you can't be a Christian. That was basically their argument, right? Paul's furious. No way. It's not Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus a ceremonial law. It's Christ and Christ alone. Faith in Christ, grace through Christ, all because of Christ, right? All of that. He says, we're going to go down and have this fight down in Jerusalem because if the Jerusalem church disagrees with me over this, we're done. There's going to be a schism in the early church. By the grace of God, there's not. They all agree, no, you do not have to obey the ceremonial laws in order to be a Christian. So they write this down to all the churches that are scattered. They write it down. Paul gladly picks up that letter and starts delivering it to all of the churches he'd gone to before. And he gets to Lystra, Derby, Iconium, this area, meets this guy, Timothy, He's a son of a Greek man. Everybody knows he's a Greek man. He wouldn't be circumcised. Timothy, you need to be circumcised. Like, what the what? What did you just do, Paul? Did you just negate everything that was just argued for? No. And this is super important, Christian, that we get this. When Paul's faced with somebody that says, you better circumcise Timothy, he's not a Christian, Paul's going to say, no way, no how. This has nothing to do with Timothy's faith. Rather, he looks and says, I'm willing and those who are with me for the sake of the gospel are willing to lay down our rights not to do certain things and are willing to take up and do set things that we don't have to do in order to be saved. And we do it all so that we might gain a hearing. See, remember what it says. It says, he says, because there were Jews that knew this. And the idea being there that they would have been closed off by, by Timothy. They just wouldn't even have given a hearing to the gospel. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? Can I just say this out loud? Circumcision for a grown man would be a massive sacrifice. <laughs> None of you are going to be asked to do this. But you might be asked to give. I mean, what's the pain point? What are you willing to do so that somebody else will hear? What rights are you willing to lay down? What food or drink would you eat or not eat? See, man, this is so important. That's why I want to take this rabbit trail just for a minute because because our culture is like, no way, no how, right? This is so countercultural. I do what I feel like doing. I don't do what I don't feel like doing. And here's Paul saying, Timothy, buddy, I get it. But this is the difference between some people hearing and some people never. And apparently Timothy says, okay. That's radical, right? What are we willing to do? 
All right, so let's keep going. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep looking at this through the lens of discerning the will of God. The second question I want to ask is, is this. How did Paul get to Macedonia? Now start reading in verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter, of chapter 16. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, another area in, uh, in Asia. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Here's what I want you to see. Notice how it starts off. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They're not allowed by Jesus Christ to go into certain places. What happened? Like what actually occurred there? Well, we don't know. This might be this might be uh, Luke looking back years later or whenever he writes this and saying, "Having look, now, now looking back, I can see God just sort of closed every door. That might be, but we don't know. What we do know is that God, through divine intervention, we might say, made his will supremely clear. He redirected them to where he wanted it, and he did that by giving Paul a vision. Now, now, I want you to hear me say this. That isn't normal. Right? Very few of us could say I've had a vision from God. This is not how we order our lives. This is supernatural. This is not ordinary. So I want you to notice something about the apostles, about Paul, about the activity within the book of Acts. Nowhere do you see Paul saying, okay, I come to a crossroads, left or right, dear God, give me a sign, should I turn left or right? No, Paul just goes, here's a crossroads, they've never heard about Jesus, we're going there. Then God resists them. So is Paul wrong? No, I think, I think the prejudice is towards action. And then God comes along and thwarts some plans and says, no, I'm going to redirect you. God gives them this divine, this supernatural word to help them understand very clearly what his direction is. And, and okay, that happens. Sometimes God does that. Words of prophecy, a vision, things that come to you, like a, I want to give you a word of knowledge. These things are talked about in Scripture. This stuff does happen. It's just not normal. It's not the normative way God works. But, 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 but notice, now some of you could say, that's happened to me. I've received a prophecy. I've, I've received a vision. I want you to notice something. Look, look at the end. Look at verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into the Macedonia. Why or how? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me pick that apart for a second. That word concluding means literally to, to come together or to be together with. Here's the idea. They didn't just say, Paul saw a vision, therefore we go. Apparently, they put their heads together, this group, and they deliberated. They thought deeply about it. They said, okay, it seems this front is closed. It seems like God may be opening this front. So let's kind of step out in faith, believing this is where God may have us to go. 
Okay, let's go to 2006. I'm, I'm at a church in Missouri. I'm, I'm wondering, okay, God, it seems like maybe you're stirring us on. Maybe you want us to go plant a church. Maybe you want us to, 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 to pastor an existing church. And, and in the midst of that, the part I didn't tell you was that early in, somewhere in the spring of 2006, I sit down with a guy, some of you know his name, Sam Storms, his wife, Anne. Michelle and I are at, are at lunch, and Anne proceeds to prophesy over us about our future. And I won't go into all the detail, but essentially, she talked about downsizing. She talked about patience. She talked about the need to be really discerning. Walked away from that. God, what is this? What do you want us to do? About that time, I, I hear there's a church in North Carolina. It's coming after you. Unbeknownst to you, they've been coming and visiting services, listening to you preach. You know, weird, right? Like stalking you, whatever that looks like, right? And and, and I get a call, hey, why don't you come out here? I want you to come preach. I'm like, okay, this is, this is the Macedonian call. Michelle and I fly out there. We, we go through the whole process. We get on the plane. We're coming home. Like, I, I think we're going to North Carolina. Like, it's a done deal, right? We're going to get a call like any moment now. And as if on cue, the phone rings. And I pick it up. Here we go. Right? We chose someone else. Thanks. I'm smiling now. I was devastated. I thought I had heard from God. God, what are you doing? A couple weeks later, I get a phone call. Hey, we're a church out here in the city called Glendora. I didn't even know there was a place called Glendora. Bo Gutzweiler sitting back there, Jerry Kitchell on the, on the board at that time. Come out here. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the end of the story, right? And we downsized. Went from a church of about 6,500 to a church of 140. Had to be incredibly patient, right, through this process. I'm not a very patient person, but God was teaching me that, right? So, so, and we had to weigh it. We, did, we didn't just go, oh, there was this prophecy, there was this thing, so therefore. You could be wrong. It takes discernment. Sometimes this is how God establishes our steps. Maybe this is what God's doing for you. Maybe some of you say, man, I feel like I've really heard directly, like I've heard something, somebody's given to me, a, you know, a word from God in some way that really, really is concrete. I would say, don't just accept that on your own. Conclude with the counsel of other people that this is what it seems like God may be doing. Now, let me give you a third thing. Here's the third question. How did Paul get to Macedonia? I'm sorry, let me do the last one. How did Paul find Lydia? How did he find Lydia? That's the third question. Okay, look at, let's keep going. I don't have much time left. Look at verse 11. So setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day at Neapolis and, and there, uh, from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, there's so much I could say about this passage. But let's again, I want to look at it through this grid. How do you know you're seeking God? You want to know direction. And I want you to see one of the ways that God works. Sometimes he gives you a desire and you affirm that, you confirm that desire. Sometimes he gives you direct divine intervention. And, and again, you, you, you weigh that, or you consider that. But sometimes, sometimes he shuts a door. Okay, we could apply that to even what happened in Paul saying, I want to go into Asia. And he opens another. But we can say, here's what Paul, Paul, Paul wanted. Do you see this? Paul thought he was going to pray. He had no idea that what God was doing was leading him to a woman who would hear the gospel. Now, this is the part you can't see just by seeing it in Scripture unless you know geography really, really well. Lydia may not be her name. Remember Asia? Paul couldn't go into Asia. By the way, that's Asia Minor. That's not what we think of as Asia today. That's down Turkey, Greece, places like that. Paul's forbidden from going in there. Lydia is a province or a district, we'd say, inside the province of Asia. And Thyatira, where this woman is from, if her name is Lydia, it might be, is a city inside of Lydia, right? So it's Lydia, it'd be like, you know, Glendora, County of Los Angeles, State of California, right? Thyatira, District of Lydia, Province of Asia. God shuts a door on Asia to send Paul to Philippi for this and other people who will hear the gospel. Likely, likely, Lydia, a wealthy woman, will be part of what finances Paul to finally get to Asia. Here's, here's just what I want you to see. God is like a judo master, right? I'm heading this way, and God's like, I'm going to use all that forward momentum to walk, right? You're going there, right? You don't realize it, but this is the desire I've put on your heart. Some of you would say, like, look, let me give you an example. I know people today that are Christians because they saw a pretty woman and wanted to date her. And the girl was like, not happening because you're not a Christian. Go to church, hear the gospel. I really believe. God used my desire, some of you might say, for another person to actually awaken a desire for him. You see what's happening here? God uses a desire for Paul to go pray. God uses a desire for Paul to go into Asia. Sometimes, listen to me, church, God directs our steps through unexpected encounters. Sometimes God thwarts our plans. That seems so weird. It seems so discouraging. Here's what I want you to hear. God is just as active in your life in the thwarting of your plans than in the giving of your desires. There are some times when God slams a door shut because he doesn't want you in North Carolina. He wants you in Glendora. He doesn't want you here. He wants you there. You thought you were going to do this. God says, no, you're going to do this. I'm going to direct your steps. Man plans his ways. 
God directs his steps. I think Paul really believed this. Paul finds himself now down by the water with these women and goes, oh, oh, so this is what God's up to. Oh, so this is what God wants from me. You see this? This happens all the time. Like, like um, Paul does this, or God does this to Paul. They, some, of you, some of you, there's these great sort of like stars in the, in the missionary you know, uh, 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 firmament. There's names like David Livingston who thought he actually was headed to China and God redirected him to Africa. There was, there was William Carey who had his heart set on Polynesia, but no, God judo flipped him into Asia or into India. You had Adoniram Judson who thought, I'm going to India, and God turned him and he went to Burma. You have a pastor who thought he was going to be a lawyer. See, this happens all the time. What we want is, God, I got this desire. I want it always to be that way. So often it's not. So often God uses the forward momentum of our life to direct us in the way he wants us to go. See, no wonder Jeremiah, let me read it again, Jeremiah chapter 10, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in him who walks to direct his steps. Listen, we could turn the table on Lydia. Lydia thought she was going down to the water. Little did she know that that was the day that God was going to open her eyes to believe, to hear the gospel, and finally be changed. And she's baptized. She opens her home to Paul. She probably is a wealthy woman that finances part of Paul's missionary journey. She had no idea this was what was going to happen. I went down maybe to wash clothes. I went down maybe to, 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 to interact and pray with other women. But God had other plans. Listen, that could be the title over most people in this room. Some of you are in college right now. Listen, let me tell you right now. Very few of you will end up doing what you're studying to do. I don't say that to discourage you. That's the reality. If you're walking with Jesus, very often God has other plans but he's a judo master. And he will not waste any of your energy and he will flip it all to his glory. Isn't that amazing? This is how God works. Sometimes he just gives us these desires. Sometimes he gives divine direction and sometimes he redirects us. So let me just give you, let me just give you this final kind of broken down sentence. Here's how do I how do you follow the lead of God? Number one, walk with Jesus. Like just walk with Jesus. Young people, listen to me. You will never go wrong. You will have hurt. You will have trial. You will have things that don't turn out the way you thought. Walk with Jesus every day of your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is the ethical command on us as Christians that my life lines up with the gospel. Number three, in the company of the wise, just with wise people. And number four, 
And number four, and, and, and then make a decision. You don't have to worry. Right? Just, just have the forward momentum. Have the prejudice toward action. Okay, I'm going to do this. God may shut a door. I can say with Paul, Paul walked with Jesus in a manner worthy of the gospel, in the company of the wise. He made decisions, but God directed his steps. Right? That's what he does with us. Let's pray. God, I, I, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God that takes all of your so sovereign that even part we didn't really discuss, God, so sovereign that you would open Lydia's heart to believe. Little did she know this would be the day of her salvation. Little did Paul know that he was taken out of Asia in order to meet an Asian woman. God, we thank you for the ways that you direct. I pray. I pray for encouragement today, God. There are people in this room who are, are suffering, who are wondering where's God, who feel like their plans have been thwarted, and I pray that what they'd see and what they'd hear from Scripture is, God, you are still sovereign and you are just as active in the blockading of things as you are in the opening of things. And I pray that like Paul, we would just be willing to move where you open the doors and shut the doors. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, I, I have to believe that when you call us together, there are people whose steps have been redirected to be here this morning so that they could hear these words that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because you have a desire, you're right now opening their hearts to believe, to believe by faith in Jesus Christ, to believe that they cannot, they cannot outrun their own sin, that they cannot save themselves as much as they've tried. And if the only one who can do that is Jesus Christ. And so now that you'd bring them to a place of repentance, of faith, of baptism, following hard after Jesus. Lord, do that this morning, I pray. We thank you, we praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.